Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. Today we will be reading Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided kingdom, divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Thank you. Thanks, Zeke. I'm going to pray for us again. Father, we thank you so much for the scriptures that you've given us, the ways in which you've revealed yourself to us through your word, through history. We believe that you are who you say you are. We put our faith in you, not in ourselves, not in our works, not in our goodness, but only and solely and completely in you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be present with us here this morning. Um, For those that are watching from home with chaos around them, we pray that the Holy Spirit be present with them. As they listen to this teaching, as we read the scriptures together, Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you move us to action? We love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, have you guys ever met someone and within the, like, the first like 30 seconds, you know like we're either going to be like best buds or we're going to be like the worst of enemies. Like I can't be around this person one minute. You know what I'm talking about? Like, within the first minute, you know whether or not 
you're gonna get along, right? Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, like when you first meet people, but sometimes you just know, right? Within the first minute. Um, when I was in high school, I got involved in music and worship, uh, and I actually, I, like, as unhealthy as this is, I built my entire identity around my musicianship, right? My worship ship, uh, my worship leading. And so when I went to college, uh, I went to a small Bible college and I spent some time that year just getting involved in their worship ministries uh, and as much as I could, as much as I could, as much as I could, where uh, by the end of the, ga- the, of the year, I was kind of like the go-to worship guy for, for, for the school. Uh, there's lots of musicians, but I, I liked being the worship guy. If I, if I could just confess some unhealthy, fleshly parts of me, I, was, I liked being the worship guy, right? And so after my freshman year, uh, I've, said, I've said this a million times, but I took a year off from college to do a, a traveling ministry team. Um, and this school, it's small. There's a vast turnaround. And so for me, as the worship guy, right, it was a, uh, it was a step of faith to step back and, and, and trust that, like, man, like, what if someone like, takes, takes that, that, that role as the worship guy and I come back and, like, there's no, nothing for me to do anymore, right? And so uh, I took a step of faith. I stepped out. It was, it was also a musical group. It was a different kind of musical group, and so it, I didn't use that role, uh, the, that part of my skills for, for that year. Um, so as the year was coming to an end and we were going into summer camp season, right, I started hearing rumors of this other guy. <laughs> the other guy, right? Uh, he, uh, he was, uh, everyone said he was nice, he was friendly, he has, was a great musician, he was a fantastic worship leader, and so fleshed him as like, Man, this town ain't big enough for the both of us, okay? <laughs> right? Uh, we're going we're gonna to have to duke this thing out, figure out which one of us is going to be the real worship leader for, for the school, right? Um, and so one day, I was going into the cafeteria, uh, and I noticed that this guy was sitting at a table by himself. Uh, and I thought to myself, all right, like this, it's now or never. I've got I've to meet this guy. I've got to at least get to know him a little bit. And I was fully prepared to not like this guy, right? He was stepping on my turf, <laughs> Right, and so uh, I sit down, I introduce myself, and he tells me his name, he, he, you know, everyone calls me Dusty, he says, uh, but my real name is, is Tom, you know, Thomas Dustin. And so uh, we spent the first couple of minutes chatting, uh, and I knew within the first minute that we were going to be best buds. Right, we just, we just clicked. Everything just made sense, right? Uh, over the course of the next, like, three years, uh, Tom and I uh, together would, would take turns leading worship at the school. Uh, when he uh, couldn't lead, I would. When I couldn't lead, he would. My favorite times were when we actually could lead together. Uh, and we, were, we had this, this, like, this gelling between us where we didn't really need to rehearse to, to, to like, do a decent job. We could just get up on stage and just follow each other's lead, and, and it just clicked. It made sense, right? Uh, we, we just got along so well. Uh, both of us uh, would also kind of, you know, it's college. You'd egg each other on to do stupid things for the laughs, right? So we would, pr- we would take turns getting our, each other in and out of trouble uh, over the course of the next couple of years. And uh, some of the things that we did, I can't actually say on record uh, <laughs> because it would give too many people ideas at the school. Uh, and so it, it's just, we had this great friendship, this great relationship. We got to go through uh, you know, the, the challenges of life together. We got to go through the joys of life together. We're both in each other's weddings. Um, when, I, when I left um, uh, college to go to seminary, he moved down to North Carolina and then eventually to Nashville where he's a worship pastor now. 
uh, and I moved down to Virginia for, for seminary. And I remember I would sit in my office, and every now and then uh, uh, Tom would call me, right? And I'd put him on speaker. We'd kind of catch up and chat. And we had this code where if, if uh, somebody was in the room and we had to, like, keep it professional, I'd call him Tom or Thomas. And he would know, okay, I've got to, like, I can't say fart or whatever. Um, and um, if I called him Dusty, then it, the, the, it was safe. We could talk about whatever. We can reminisce, laugh, joke, whatever. Um, to this day, to this day, only two people that I know of call him Tom, me and his mom, right? Everyone else calls him Dusty, as far as I know. Maybe that's changed. I'm, it's been a while. Uh, to this day, uh, Tom and I, we catch up every couple of months. We just, uh, we, we talk about our kids. We talk about what's going on. But it always feels like, even though we live in two completely different states, that we, like, no time has, no time has gone by, right? I knew within the first minute that Tom and I were going to be best friends. Um, similar to my, my story of meeting Tom, um, most of us, when we approach Jesus for the first time, we approach with a certain level of skepticism or maybe even curiosity. You know what I'm talking about? Um, we, we each have our own uh, history, our own baggage, our own sins that we're dealing with. Right? Each of us have our own uh, perceptions and misperceptions of what Jesus is like. Uh, and there comes a point in each of our lives uh, where we have to make a decision about who Jesus is to me. Right? If I grew up in a Christian home, and so I've heard the name of Jesus my entire life. But there still came a point where I had to decide for myself, not just what my mom and dad tell me Jesus is. I had to decide for myself, this is who I believe Jesus is. Is right. There comes a point where we can no longer sit on a fence. Right. We can't watch from afar. Right. We either step out of the boat with Peter and trust that Jesus is going to uphold us, or we go home. Right. So in today's passage in Luke 11, um, Jesus is going to be having a conversation with some of the religious leaders as well as some of the fence-sitters in the audience. Right? Fence-sitting can look very different for different people. Depending on your temperament, what you're like, what your background is, fence-sitting can look very different for different people. Some fence-sitters, uh, they want to sit back and they want to marvel at what Jesus is doing without necessarily having to get involved themselves. Right? They, they want to marvel from a distance without having to make any commitments. Right? Uh, these people, they like the idea of Jesus they like some of his uh, teachings or some of his ideals, uh, but they're not necessarily convinced that they want to submit to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right? Mark Sayers has this saying uh, that uh, our culture wants the kingdom without the king. Have you guys ever heard that phrase? Right? We want all the, all the benefits of having the way of Jesus, but we don't want Jesus. It doesn't work like that. Right? Some fence-sitters... Um, they have a different Jesus in mind, right? They have a Jesus in mind that looks like them, thinks like them, looks, talks like them, and affirms all their, all their decisions. And so uh, when they're confronted with a Jesus in the scriptures, uh, they, they don't like that, right? And so they, they're looking for a reason to justify their rejection of Jesus, right? Some fence-sitters, the last one, um, they're really just pretending to be fence-sitters for the sake of their friends, for the sake of their family. In their hearts, they've already made up their minds about who Jesus is. 
Uh, maybe they've been burned by the church or by other Christians. Maybe uh, they just decided that Jesus can't be who he says he is. Um, and so even though God is literally at work around them, they can't even see it because they've already predetermined Jesus can't be God. Jesus can't be this. And so they have willfully closed their eyes to who Jesus is. Okay, in Luke 11, Jesus is going to invite us to get off the fence. Let's read this. 11, verse 14. Now, mind you, uh, we just wrapped up a couple of sections of Luke that were talking about prayer. And we're stepping into a new segment where Jesus is going to be addressing some of these conversations and, uh, and, and, and reactions to his ministry. So Luke eleven fourteen says this. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the, man, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Um, each of the Gospels actually records this story. Actually, three, three of the four Gospels record this story. And they each address different uh, aspects of it. Um, Matthew tells us that the man was mute and blind. And uh, Luke, for the sake of just time, shortens it to he was mute. Right? And he was mute because there was a, some sort of demonic oppression in his life. Right? Some, some, the, the, throughout the scriptures, we see that sometimes... There is physical illness as a result of spiritual warfare, right? This is one of those situations. Um, depending on how you count them, uh, depending on how you count them across the different uh, book, the different gospels, there are somewhere between thirty-three and thirty-seven miracles recorded for Jesus, right? It's not all of them by far. Uh, John tells us that if everything Jesus said and did was recorded, there wouldn't be enough paper. Uh, to, 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 fill, to, to write all that, right? But there's somewhere between 33 and 37 miracles of Jesus recorded. Um, 16 of them involved healing. Seven of them involved casting out demons. One has to do with finances and money. Uh, five involve food, okay? Three of them involve control over nature and three of them involve resurrections, okay? That's the, the miracles that Jesus does. And when Luke is describing Jesus' miracles, in his gospel, he actually follows a pattern. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this yet. Luke follows a pattern. He's a historian. He's a doctor. He's very detailed. Right? And so Luke will spend a good portion of the, of the passage describing the who, what, where, when, and why of the miracle. Right? Who was there? What was happening? What did Jesus say? Who did he heal? What was the miracle? And then at the very, very end, he usually tacks on a brief, like, one-sentence uh, summary of, of what actually the, the response was from the crowd. Right? Um, he'll say something like, and they, 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 uh, they, uh, they were in awe, or they were seeking to kill him, or they rejected him, or they drove him out of the city, or something. There's usually, like, a one-sentence response of the crowd. Uh, in this particular passage, though, Luke flips that pattern. Right? This is by far the shortest description of a miracle in the book of Luke. It takes one sentence. Less than one verse is the description of the miracle. The entire rest of the passage is the response to the crowd and Jesus' response to the crowd. Okay, so we have to pay attention. What does that, what does that mean for us? What does that tell us? Right? At this point, Luke wants us to focus more on the responses of the audience than he does on the miracle itself. 
Right? There's been enough descriptions of miracles. This is time to talk about how do we respond? How do we react? Um, for most of the early parts of Jesus' ministry, he flies under the radar. He, he knows his message is controversial. And so he knows that as soon as Jerusalem gets involved, it's going to get sticky. Right? And so before that happens, he tries to get his message to as many people as possible. Uh, and then eventually his popularity skyrockets. People start following him in droves. And Jerusalem takes notice. And they start to send representatives uh, religious leaders that are going to uh, that are going to examine Jesus. Okay, some of them come with just an earnest desire to test Jesus. Right, they just want to know like is is he actually all that people say he is? And there's an earnestness to them, and he uh, shows so much grace and love for those. And some people uh, they come to Jesus uh, feeling threatened. Right, they are the ones in a position of power, of authority, of prestige, and Jesus's message is directly in opposition to that. And so some of these religious leaders, when they come to Jesus, um, they come because they want to put this nobody in their minds in his place. So immediately after Jesus uh, uh, commands this demon to leave and this man is healed, there's three responses, three reactions. Okay, Some people marveled. Right? They're intrigued, they're curious, they're amazed. They're not necessarily convinced yet. There's, there's, there's nothing in the text that says that the people that marveled just, just followed Jesus right away. Right? Some of the people, they came to Jesus and they accused him uh, of working for the enemy. Right? They don't like Jesus. They're trying to find a reason to discredit him. And then the last group, and this is the, the most flabbergasting, if that's even a word, the most flabbergasting one of them all. Some of them asked Jesus for a sign. As if casting out a demon and healing a mute person is not sufficient. Okay? Uh, in the next couple of weeks, Jesus is going to spend some time talking to those who are just marveling from a distance. And he's going to spend some time talking to those that are looking for more signs. In today's passage, he's going to directly address those that came to accuse him. Right, to discredit him. So what's the accusation? Verse 15. Uh, some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. In Jesus' day, Beelzebub was kind of like a, a catch-all term, like a derogatory catch-all term for Satan, right? It encompassed all things evil. He was the prince of the demons, the prince of evil. The word literally means the lord of the flies, um, so interesting, right? Uh, and the thought was that uh, clearly Jesus can't be from God. And so how is he actually able to cast out demons? Uh, and their thought was, well, he's probably like some kind of like supernatural double agent, right? He's got like authority from Satan to do this. And that's the only reason why demons obey him. And Jesus's response is brilliant. He's going to dismantle their entire argument in just a couple of verses. Verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household fails. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus says, okay, I'll, I'll give you. There's two potential reasons why I have 
this ability to cast out demons, two potential explanations. Either I have it because I have somehow obtained it from the authority of Satan, or, or the only other explanation is I have been touched by the finger of God. Right? That finger of God reference is interesting. Right? Think back to the Old Testament. When's the last time you saw the finger of God in action? Think one man on a mountain, two stone tablets, finger of God. Right? Ten Commandments. Right, the pivotal, most important moment of Israel's foundation. Moses, the leader of Israel, is communing and talking with God, and he receives the Ten Commandments. Like, this is sacred. And Jesus is saying, this is on par with that. Okay? He asks them a simple question. Uh, let's, let's imagine for a moment you're in charge of a kingdom, you're a king, and there's a civil war going on in your kingdom. Right? Is your kingdom going to thrive or is your kingdom going to fall apart? It's going to fall apart. Right? Okay. Imagine you, uh, you, you know, you got your, your husband, your wife, and a couple of kids, uh, and there's a, some kind of like just tension going on. There's infighting going on, and, and people are saying things that are hurtful, and they're fighting against one another, divided. Is that family going to thrive, or is that family going to fall apart? They're going to fall apart. So, if I am casting out Satan's demons... Right? If I am kicking Satan out of his own house, if I'm freeing people from oppression, then wouldn't that say to you that Satan's kingdom is divided and it's going to fall? Right? Uh, by the way, Abraham Lincoln borrows this, uh, this argument when he's talking in 1858 about the, the union. Right? A nation divided cannot stand. He borrows it from Jesus. Here's the kicker. Right? Either way, Jesus is the hero. Let's assume he's the devil agent here. That means that Satan's kingdom is falling apart. Great! Jesus is the hero. Or, let's assume that the finger of God is upon him, and Satan is finished, and the kingdom of God is coming upon them right now, and it's time for them to decide which kingdom they want to be a part of. So now, all of a sudden... Which one do you want to be opposed to? Which one do you have a problem with? Do you have a problem with Satan's kingdom falling apart or do you have a problem with God's kingdom coming? Right? That's the argument that Jesus is making here. And he closes it with this short little parable. Uh, he talks about a strong man who is fully armed. He's guarding his own palace and his goods are safe. That strong man, by the way, is Satan. Right? He's armed. He's guarding his own palace uh, and his goods are safe. Who, what are his goods? Humanity. Think up until this point, nothing can, can come up against Satan. But then someone else comes and he attacks him, overcomes him, takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. In other words, he overpowers him, disarms him and takes his stuff. Which of the two men is the stronger one? The one that overpowered him. Right, which of these two men is stronger? It's Jesus. Right, his authority is on display for everyone to see. And it's time, Jesus claims, it's time to get off the fence and make a decision. It's time to get off the fence and make a decision. 
earlier in chapter 9, when Jesus is trying to correct his disciples for being a little bit overeager, he tells them that if somebody is not against them, then they're for them. Do you guys remember that? Like, don't, don't, like, don't kick someone out or, or discredit someone just because they're not a part of your team. Um, but right here, Jesus is talking to people who are sitting on a fence. And he's trying to help them understand that if you're not working for the kingdom of God, you're working for a different kingdom. Right? The kingdom of Satan. If you're not helping gather, you're actually causing it to scatter. Ultimately, those who are sitting on a fence need to make a decision. Either Jesus is who he says he is or he's not. It's not enough for us to marvel from a distance. It's not an option for us to pick and choose which parts of Jesus we like and reject the rest. He doesn't leave that as an option for us. You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. C.S. Lewis, if you remember this, uh, this argument, he's talking about how Jesus only gives us three options. Right? Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, you can't call him a good teacher. You can't call him a good guy, a moral uh, leader, because he only gives us three options. Either Jesus is a liar. right? He claimed that he was God and he wasn't. He's just lying, which makes him evil. Or he's a lunatic, Right? He really believed he was God. Right? He, was, he was a little loose in the, in the head. Right? He, he didn't really know what, was, what he was saying. So he's a lunatic. He's crazy. Or the only other option is that he is Lord. Another way of saying that is he's either mad, or he's bad, or he's God. <laughs> okay? Jesus doesn't give us the option to sit on the fence. We don't need more signs. He's shown us plenty of them. What we need is to make a decision. And so my, my hope and my prayer this morning, uh, for those that are, uh, that are listening to this online or, or listening to this weeks or months later, uh, my prayer and my hope is that if you're that person who's sitting on that fence about who Jesus is and whether or not you're going to submit to him, my, my hope and my prayer is that you say, yes, he is who he says he is. I'm going to submit myself 100% to him. But for those of us that have been raised in a Christian home, we've, we've already committed ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. I wonder this morning if there is another area of your life, another area of Jesus' calling that you're sitting on the fence on. Right? Similar to those who, tried, who are still trying to choose whether they're even going to submit to Jesus, Sometimes we, as followers of Jesus, we try to pick and choose which aspects of the way of Jesus we want to follow. Does that make sense? Jesus is saying you can't sit on the fence. Right? Jesus is either the Lord of all of your life or none of your life. This morning, we're going to take a minute, as I'm just kind of wrapping this up, we're going to take a minute, and I, and I want to ask you, do you need to spend some time reflecting and confessing and repenting of some fence sitting? Is there an aspect of life that Jesus is calling you to step into, something he's calling you to do, someone he's calling you to speak to, and you're just sitting on the fence, you're waiting for some reason you're waiting. Jesus says, get off the fence. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna we're gonna take a minute now. We're gonna we're, I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing just a a, a chorus of um, uh, a song, and then we're gonna invite our kids back in here 
to just the mad chaos of everything. And we're gonna sing a final really upbeat song. But before we do that, just wherever you're at, take a minute, close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Take a minute to reflect. What part of my life am I sitting on a fence in? What is Jesus calling me to that I just have not been committing to? I've given my excuses. I've watched from a distance. I've maybe even tried to discredit the fact that Jesus is calling me into that thing. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're sitting on a fence, take a minute to process through and ask yourself why. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, the challenge, the convicting words in which you challenge us to, uh, to get off the fence and make a decision. And I pray this morning that you would, uh, that you would enable us to do that. You give us the courage to do that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.